The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. Once again, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this week as we head into the middle weeks of August. So there's really only about six or seven weeks left to go in the baseball season. should be fairly interesting as we head into the dog days of summer. I'm Dave Mitchell. Good to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians and the Cincinnati Reds, and to do that, we've got to bring in our Reds expert, Blake Watson. Blake, a lot going on. The Reds this week, they did exactly what they needed to do. Yeah, and uh, they went five and one, beat up on a couple of bad teams. Should have went six and zero. Oh. Um, bullpen blew yet another game in that opener against the Twins. Um, yeah, six and zero oh, moved to five games over five hundred or ten games over five hundred. I'm sorry. Um, you know, what they're supposed to do against, against the teams in baseball that aren't as good. Yep. I mean, it was a, it was a good week for the Reds. The Indians, not so good, but I mean, as you head into the last six weeks of the season, the Indians are starting to get things settled down as far as what they're going to be looking at in the offseason. But let's talk more about the Reds. I think David Bell made a very gutsy but needed decision over the first couple of games against Pittsburgh when he replaced uh, Suarez at third base with Moustakas. Yeah, I mean, anybody, you know, who pays attention to baseball could have told you that that should happen. Um, now, whether it does or not is a completely different thing. Um, that's, a, like you said, it's a really difficult spot to put him in. It would have been one of two guys probably sitting in that spot. It was either Votto or Suarez, and... Obviously, Votto, since the All-Star break, is absolutely raked. Um, so you weren't taking his bat out of the lineup. I was a little surprised to see Suarez come back into that, that final game of that series. Um, you know, even against a right-handed pitcher, you would have assumed it would have been Moose. But, yeah, and Moose comes back, first game back, a couple of doubles, a couple of RBIs. I mean, he just starts hitting. So he's, you know, that just shows you what the Reds are starting to get back. And Lucas Sims was activated off the, the aisle yesterday um, to, to bolster that bullpen. Brad Brock sent to the aisle. He uh, probably will not be back in a Reds uniform. He's been really bad of late. Um, Antone is now on his rehab assignment. Senzel is playing well in his rehab assignment. The Reds are about to add a couple more pieces and make it, you know, a, a more difficult job for David Bell to figure out how to play everybody but a much easier job for him when he turns to look at his bullpen. Well, and I think the big thing is, though, Blake, that um, when Senzel comes back, you've just got to put him in center field and let him play. That's where they need to put him. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. Um, I would I would still play Akiyama some. I think, you know, while, while he was really good and really part of the Reds' early season, you know, success uh Tyler Naquin is now just a bat off the bench um he can be a spot start guy in left and right with Winker and and Castellanos when they need a day um give you a little bit of left-handed pop off the bench but theoretically you know in, in, if they're full 25s healthy he should not be starting 
Um, he hasn't hit a home run in it feels like seven months. So, it, you know, Naquin's a good player, and I like him, and he's really valuable to them early in the year. It's just they have better players right now, and you know, those guys need to be playing. They need to win as many games as they can. Well, you got put in a position where you had to play Naquin almost every inning of every game, and he's not that type of ball player. I think mean, you and I talked about this off air and on air, and that Naquin would fight his way into the lineup, but he's not an everyday ball player anymore, and that's what he's proven with the Reds. When you can spot start him, he's very valuable to a team, and he's great coming off the bench, but when you got to depend upon him to be an everyday ball player, that's when you, you're lacking. Oh, for sure. Um, and I've said that since the very beginning of the season. I like Tyler Naquin a lot. But Tyler Naquin, if he was going to be your everyday center fielder, you're just not in a good spot. He's a fine offensive player, and he's a fine defensive player. He's not a center fielder, and he's really not a middle-of-the-order left-handed bat and a re- on a really good team. Now, are there teams out there where he can play center field bat forward for? Absolutely. One of them just left Cincinnati and Pittsburgh Pirates. Maybe not center because Brian Reynolds is really good. But, um, <clears throat> you know, if Tyler Naquin was on the Pittsburgh Pirates, he should get five, 600 bats a year. But on this team and a team that is playoff good, he's just not that guy. Um, but like you said, he's a great spot start guy. He's a great, you know, maybe even he's a much better defensive outfielder than probably Castellanos or Winker. So, you know, late any defense guy, um, all of those things, you know, that, that are really key to a good ball club winning games. He can be a lot of those things. Um, he's just not a you know four or five hundred at bat center fielder for for a playoff caliber team. He's just not. Well, the Reds are five games behind Milwaukee. The bad thing about that though is Blake, the Reds, as far as I could tell, only have three games left with Milwaukee in the regular season. That's correct. They only have three games left with Milwaukee in the regular season. They've got like nine more with Pittsburgh still. Um, they've got several with they've got several with the Cardinals too. But the big thing is. Late in the year, Blake, and this doesn't bode well for the Reds, they have a three-game series with the Dodgers, and they end up with the White Sox in Chicago. The Reds, of the teams in the National League that are in the wild card race, they play by far the least amount of games against teams at or above 500. Of their 50 games remaining, I think less than 20 of them are against teams at or above 500. Um so the Reds' schedule, despite that Dodgers series and the White Sox, which probably won't matter because the White Sox will have wrapped up that division and they will not be playing necessarily for seeding, is my guess. Um, the, 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 you know, those top three or four teams in the American League will probably have s- cemented themselves into at least their positions at that point. So they're probably not going out running their aces out there. Um, so the Reds' schedule actually sets up really well, as far as I'm concerned, for this late-season push into the playoffs. Well, the good thing about the Indians and the way things have been going with them is they're starting to get their rotation and their starting eight or nine, however you want to put it, uh, settled down. Um, they managed to take two out of three against the Tigers. I'll tell you what, Blake, you look at that Detroit team, they are not a bad ball club. They really are not bad. They're in third place right now, uh, three and a half games behind the Indians who are in second. But this Tiger ball club, boy, I think the future is bright for them. I've been saying it since the opening series of last year. You remember? 
Yep. The opening series of last year, I'm like, that Detroit Tigers team has some athletes on it. They are very athletic. Um, they're young. They're fast. They've got some some holes, obviously. Um, but they've got some dudes on that team that have a chance to be pretty good baseball players. You know um, so I agree with you completely. I think they're definitely a team that's going to be on the rise in the next couple of years. The question's going to be, can they get there quick enough to keep that core together or find the right pieces from outside to add to that core to, uh, to, to take the big, take a big step instead of just, you know, incrementally get better, add the right couple of pieces from outside to become a legitimate contender pretty quickly. And I think they could. It's, it's very interesting that you bring it up because the rumor floating around Detroit right now is their number one target in the off season is Carlos Correa, the shortstop from Houston. And keep in mind, before you start saying that that's a crazy idea, Detroit's got a low payroll. They can afford to play to pay somebody a lot of money, and Correa's got a history with their manager, A.J. Hinch. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I just don't know. Correa's so used to being competitive and winning. I just don't know that he's going to be one of those dudes that, you know, walks away from really good situations to go to chase the best money, and he might be, um, because that's what it's going to take to get him to Detroit. It's going to take the best contract for sure. They're not going to be able to underbid by a couple million dollars and get him because he loves the situation. Um, so if they, if they go full out and, you know, full send for Carlos Correa, I honestly thought you were going to say Nick Castellanos because they wanted him back. Um no, I think their outfield, they, they like their outfield. They've got this kid named Adu. And I know you saw him when, when the Reds played the Tigers. They picked him up in the Rule 5 draft. Kid, kid is a stud. I, I really like him. I like what Detroit's doing. Um, but I'll tell you what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna discount this Correa, um, thought process because there's a lot of shortstops that are coming out this year. I mean, you've got, You've got Seeger with the Dodgers. You've got Correa with Houston. You've got Baez with the Mets now. Uh, you've got Turner, who, who's also with the Dodgers. You've got a lot of shortstops that are coming out this year, Blake. But I think the one that most everybody is probably going to settle on because of his attitude and all-around talent is Correa. I mean, I think if I were to pick one of those shortstops out of that group, I'd probably pick Correa. Or Trey Turner. Trey Turner I love, but um, I also probably would pick him up and not play him at shortstop. He'd be my starting center fielder. Um, but, yeah, Correa's really good. Big, strong, physical, um, you know, kind of in that Cal Ripken, Alex Rodriguez-type mold where he, you know, actually looks a little too big to play the position, but he's yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, big, you know, big, strong, powerful guy. I think it's weird because he's been really good offensively, but I think a lot of people expected him to be better offensively, um, you know, to be a legitimate middle-of-the-order guy. And he is at times, but, you know, his, his his overall numbers are that of a, you know, a six-hole hitter or something like that on a, on a good team. Now, he goes to Detroit, he's going to be put right in the middle of their lineup. He reminds me a lot of... Manny Machado and the fact that you know he kind of even Manny Machado's on bad teams but he did a lot of things under the radar and as good as Correa's been he's been the afterthought on that Houston Astros team yeah he hasn't been the guy and then you know I gotta 
when he gets to free agency, he's going to go somewhere and be the guy. And I'm not positive that that mentality is going to fit him. You know, it, it's easy to go from being a big fish in a small pond to being, you know what I'm saying? I messed that up, but you know what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, to, to being, you know, go from being one of the dudes to being the dude. He could walk into Detroit and be the dude. Yeah, he would be the, the, the man there. And as obviously, as obviously Miguel Cabrera starts to get ready to transition into retirement and things like that, he would command that locker room and that team. And that's great if he has the personality for that. But for the longest time, he hasn't been that guy. And so you just don't know if that's going to be a fit. Right. Right. You know, and I, I would get excited if the, if I thought the Indians, had a chance with this guy, but everybody knows the Indians aren't going to sign anybody that makes over $10 million a year anyway, so what difference does it make? As we look at this, Blake, I'm really, what, what excites me about the Indians going into next year, and no, it's not the new name, is the fact that they have found four pitchers that have legitimately put themselves in a spot to join a rotation which was already strong if you subtract out the injuries. This year, Quantrill has pitched outstanding ball. Eli Morgan has pitched outstanding over the past three weeks. You've got other pitchers that have done the same thing for them over the last couple of weeks. They've got a four-man rotation right now in Zach Plezak, Morgan, Quantrill, and tonight they're going to throw Henches, which uh, I got to tell you, Henches is not on my list of players that I'm looking forward to next year. He's a big, tall left-hander, but just is unable to throw the ball over the plate. He he needs some more seasoning down at the minor leagues. Nonetheless, Blake, when you look at that game tonight, it'll be interesting to see what Castillo can do against a light-hitting Indians team. As good as he's been of late, I completely agree. Um, he Castillo, since, you know, the All-Star break's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think he's had one little clunker in there. Um so yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do against the Indians in this weird little one game set. Um, yeah, because of a rain out earlier this year. I'm gonna say I'm trying to remember which game got rained out. It was um, it, yeah, it was in May. By the way, by the way, here we go, Major League Baseball again. I saw the Indians 2022 season schedule, and I don't know if you've seen the Red schedule or not, but uh, I may be breaking news here. The Indians and the Reds are playing again in the middle of the week, two-game series. So here we go again. You know, I thought they learned their lesson by letting them play this year on the weekends, and they got outstanding crowds. But now they're going right back to Monday, Tuesday, and then when they come back up to Cleveland, uh, to Wednesday, Thursday. That's still ridiculous. They would never play the Yankees-Mets on a week on a weekday. Absolutely not. You know, and they don't, and if you notice, they don't play Boston and New York on a weekday either. Not often, yeah. You know. I mean, it probably happens here and there, but not often. You are absolutely correct. There are just some teams that they will not play during the week, and, you know, this is just getting, it's getting absolutely ridiculous, but that's next year. There'll be a whole lot more to talk about before next year comes out. The Indians, by the way, yesterday, Brought up Andres Jimenez to play shortstop. They love Rosario's bat, Blake, 
but he just cannot play the position of shortstop. That that's one of the things that they're either going to have to settle in with him and as playing there full time, or go out and get themselves a shortstop starting next year. Yeah, I mean they're kind of in a similar boat to what the Reds had to do last year. Um, difference is they were you know in a playoff hunt, and Cleveland's really not anymore. Um, I guess they're still still technically alive, but it's just not likely that they're going to compete for a wild card spot. Um, when they brought up uh, Jose Garcia last year, the light hitting defensive shortstop because they couldn't figure out anybody there to do anything. So it's a really similar situation to what the Reds dealt with a year ago. I don't know what you do with Rosario, man. It's, you got to figure out a spot. If you like it bad enough, he's got to be out there, but where does he play? Um, yeah, I know. And, and does Jimenez ever hit enough to stay up? Well, and that that's that's the problem, is are we going to be able to play Jimenez at shortstop, who's got good glove, but no bat? And I remember they brought in a guy that was like that about 25 years ago in Omar Vizquel, and Charlie Manuel was able to turn him into a hitter. Now, do I think that the Indians have the capability of doing that with Jimenez? I don't know. I, I don't think you can turn a guy into a hitter. I think you can teach him the aspects, but it's up to that person to be able to implement them. And I think Vizquel had that. He just needed the right tutelage. I'm not sure about Jimenez. I'll tell you another guy that I'm really going off the deep end with is Bradley Zimmer. He, he hit a two-run homer yesterday to win the game against Detroit, but Blake, I'm telling you, this guy, and I hate to use this term on him, but he's dumber than a box of rocks. Um, the guy has no outfield intuition whatsoever, and he just he doesn't seem to be able to adapt to any type of a situation. He's a guy that I'm, I'm ready to just say goodbye at the end of the year Rosario, maybe if you could pick up somebody, you know, put him into a trade uh, and pick up something that the Indians can use next year, that might be kind of an idea. But right now, I mean, in left field, you've got Hector Ramirez. In center field, you've got Straw, whom, whom I just love and is playing playing great right now. At second base, you've got, I keep calling him Eli Wallach, but it's Eli Clement. And Clement, I'm telling you, Blake, the more I watch this kid, physically he's reminiscent of Aaron Boone. He looks just like Aaron Boone. They're like doppelgangers. But talent-wise, the guy reminds me of Whit Merrifield out of Kansas City. I like this kid. I'm excited about the prospect that this kid brings. And glove-wise, Blake, I don't think there's anybody second to none on the Indians right now, this kid can really pick it defensively. You'll see that tonight. He'll probably play second base, although I haven't seen the lineup come out yet. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny that you, you go off on Zimmer, because when they first brought him up, you seemed to really like him. I would. I did. But the more I watch him on a longer longer scale, Blake, he just doesn't have – he throws to the wrong bases constantly, takes wrong routes to the ball in the outfield. They've moved him over to right field now. Um, I, I don't know. I just I, I've just fallen on. He he constantly he doesn't make any adjustments at the plate. Um, he's constantly getting thrown out or, or striking out on the same pitches over and over. They'll start him out the same way. They'll throw a low pitch in the dirt or right at the knees, and if they get ahead of him, then they just keep going up the ladder, and he can't catch up with it. 
Yeah, I mean, he reminds me again, I've said it before, he reminds me so much of Drew Stubbs, it's mind-boggling. All the, all the tools, um, when he, you know, Drew Stubbs had a ton of pop when he hit it, but he just could never put it together. Long, can fly, um, good outfielder until it's time to think. He reminds me a lot of what Drew Stubbs was. And that while, you know, Stubbs and Zimmer will probably both have decent, you know, major league careers, they will never be guys on a playoff caliber team. They just won't be. Never would have been, never were going to be, and won't be. Um, but, you know, with the, with the, you know, you talk about Jimenez too. It's, it's weird. If this team murdered it, man, if they had, um, you know, if they had the Reds lineup, you could get away with that guy playing shortstop. Um, yeah. And batting seventh or eighth and not needing him to do anything other than move runners over the occasional base hit, you know, the bare minimum and just go pick it. Um, but it's, it, they surely do not have anywhere near that kind of lineup to where they can be okay with an at, with a flat zero at any position. And, you know, I mean, as hopefully he can hit a little bit, hit enough, but it's just, it's going to be hard for him to hit enough to stick. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, the one thing they did was they turned him from a switch hitter to just straight um, left-handed hitting uh, while he was down at the minor league level. But I, I'm just not excited about the prospects of Jimenez playing shortstop. Do I like his glove? Yes. I don't think Clement is the answer for them at shortstop, although it would be interesting if he could play short. He's done an outstanding job replacing Ramirez at third. I mean, some of the plays that he's made, Blake, are just mind-boggling. They remind you of Brooks Robinson and um, uh, the Reds' third baseman from several years ago. Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Scott Rowland. Excellent defensive player for the Reds at third base. And, and Clement has really made some great plays. I think first base is is still up in the air, although I'm excited about Bobby Bradley. Owen Miller's a guy that they could plug in at second base. If they could play Clement at short, it might be interesting uh, down the road for this team. But I think they've got it, got it figured out, Blake, that Clement is going to be their second baseman. Now, where do they play Owen Miller? That means he may be moving to the outfield. He can play right or left. He's not going to play center because Straw is there, and he's going to be their leadoff hitter, and I'm excited about that. But I'll tell you something else that the Indians have done. They brought in, whom I didn't think they really needed, but they brought in a catcher named Wilson Ramos, and I know you remember that name. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, that guy, he's only played three games for them, but he's really done something off the bench. And um, I'm almost considering, with Hedges and Ramos at catcher, they could get rid of Roberto Perez, and I think they'd get a pretty high price out of Perez. I think right now he could be a bargaining chip in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what you get for Roberto Perez. Um, a lot of it depends on his contract. I don't really know what his contract looks like. Hey, he's got a team-friendly contract, but he's the same. To be honest with you, he's the same as Tucker Barnhart. Light hitting, great catcher. Yeah, I'm... Tucker's not really light hitting this year, though, bud. Well, but he has been in the past, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Roberto well, Perez has been that way, too. Two two years ago, he hit 23 home runs. Yeah, he's a career 207 hitter, though. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's not good. I think, I think he's definitely a guy that could play for somebody. 
Yeah. Um, I just don't know what the return is going to be if you trade him. I think you'll definitely get something useful. I just don't know that it's going to be anything that's it's earth shattering. I mean, no. for 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 what it's worth, Tucker's a two fifty five career hitter. Unless um, the Indians are going to trade Bieber or Savali or Ramirez, Jose Ramirez, they are not getting anything earth shattering back in return. Yeah, and, and I'll continue to argue that I think they should. Um, the other parts of that team are not close to competing at, at a level that can, you know, can you sneak into the playoffs here and there? Absolutely. Can you win a world championship? No. That offense is, I mean, I know Miles Straw's played well since he's got there, but I mean, the guy hit four home runs in five minor league seasons. I know he's not expected to hit home runs. I understand that he's a leadoff guy that can run to play defense in center field, but that still does not typically translate. Guys that don't hit the ball hard don't translate to to being you know everyday productive major leaguers for a long period of time. I mean, Miles Straw has not been a big leaguer that long. Right, he's um, twenty six. Right, he, and he wasn't going to get. A, he wasn't going to play in Houston up until this year because of Stringer. Springer, if, Springer. if this was, if this, I would take Miles Straw in center field for the Reds right now. That's yeah, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, right. I think he, you know, he's played a total of 107 big league games in 260 with three home runs. I mean, it's you know, he's a good player, but if that's the guy that you're looking at, like that's our guy, come with the, this young group. That's tough. You know what I mean? That's just not. He's yeah. a good player, but he is not a dynamic change a lineup kind of guy. Um, and as a 26 year old with a hundred major with less than 600 major league at bats, that's not great. Um, no, but like I so, said, he got caught in a numbers game in Houston. He was not going to beat out Reddick in right field. He was not going to beat out Springer in center field, and he certainly wasn't going to beat out Michael Brantley in left field. For sure, I, I agree, and. You know, it's just, you would think if there, if he was, I think he's going to be a good player. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think he's going to be a really solid leadoff hitter in center field. I just don't know that if that's the guy that you're looking at, like, all right, there's the, the beginning of our future or whatever. Um, that's not the guy that I want to hold that on. Just because he's, a, I mean, he's a, just a, a career minor leader at this point with, with a hundred, or so big league games. Oh, I, I like I, yeah. I like him a lot. I, I agree with you, but there's nobody on this team other than Jose Ramirez that you're going to. And it, it just jogged my memory when you said, you know, that the building block, the building block of the Indians in the early '90s was Sandy Alomar Jr. And who did they trade to get him? Joe Carter. That's mm-hmm. who they traded to get him to San Diego. So there's not a Joe Carter on this Indians team to go out and get a building block. So anybody that they're going to get, that they are going to get, is going to be somewhere that is in the twilight of their career. And, and this is a typical Indians ploy. I mean, they did that with uh, uh, they did that with Rosario before they traded him to Atlanta. Um, they brought him in because the Indians penchant for waiting until. 
a month before spring training starts or even a couple of weeks before spring training starts and then signing a guy that they think is going to be come in off the the scrap heap that nobody else has wanted that's been their ploy over the last five years yeah and prior to the Castellanos and Moustakas signings it was the same thing the Reds did um, they operated the exact same way until that one year. Now they were to get a little more creative, I think, in trades with, you know, like acquiring Shinsu Chu and Matt Latos and those kind of, kind of, uh, kind of creative moves. But that's what I'm saying. If there is no building block on this team, I, I, I love Jose Ramirez, but he's obviously not going to get younger. Um, and are you going to be competitive enough while he's still in his prime to make it worth keeping him around? Now, Bieber's a little bit different because he's so young um, and he still hasn't even hit arbitration yet. He's still on his, you know, his first three-year contracts. Um, so that's why I have been of the mind with the Indians, and I've been this way since we started talking about the Lindor deal almost two years ago, that – it's, they should just blow it up. They should strip it down to the, what the Cubs just did, and they don't have the pieces to get back what the Cubs got. But strip it down, figure out what you got, bring some young guys up, see if they can play, and, and, and add pieces here or there. That's, I mean, you're not, if they're not going to spend to make the team better right now, right, is, is what you said. They're not going to spend to make the team better right now. There's not a ton of high-level talent in the minor leagues right now, and you're not good enough to compete for a world championship right now. You're literally a boat without a rudder. You have no direction. Well, the only way, they, the only way they're going to get Buku talent back is by trading Shane Bieber and or Savali. And to be honest with you, I don't want to see either one of those two guys go. Um, yeah, but what what good what good do they do if the team around them isn't good enough to compete and won't be good enough to compete while they're in their prime and able to be their best selves? Like, what's the point of keeping them? Oh, the point other is, than is their that they could still contracts. be they could still be on the team when this team is good enough to win. And I like the talent that they've brought up. I like the Clements. I like the Owen Millers. I like the Straws. I like the Bobby Bradleys. Reyes is another guy that I really like. Ramirez, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Ramirez is ever going to leave the Indians. I'll say that right now. I don't think he will ever leave the Cleveland Indians. He'll be eligible for free agency, but he will be one of the guys that will take a hometown discount, and he will stay with Cleveland. I mean, I could see that as well, but I still hold to the fact that, you know, these Savali and Beaver and Plezak and, you know, Ramirez, I just think they're, you got a bunch of absolute bums playing next to them. And not just bums. Not, that's not, that's not the right word. You got a bunch of young guys who are figuring out how to play this game. Right. And I just don't think you're going to be good enough soon enough to, to not Deal, and I wouldn't deal all of those guys, but I would figure out what the best package I could get back for one of those dudes, and it's probably for Bieber, and I probably wouldn't trade him, and probably one of the other two. Um, and I would, I would do that and find, try to get a couple of frontline prospects for one of those dudes, 
and especially the two young pitchers because they have team control left. You can get a future middle-of-the-order legitimate bat and a pitching prospect bat because the Indians have proven that they can figure out a way to manufacture really good pitching. So to me, that's where I would deal from that point of strength to add to my weakness and then try to get better offensive players because I know you like the guys they have right now, and I understand that. I've always liked the Reds' young guys too. Those young guys are not ready to compete at the highest level. Like They're not. They're not ready to compete. But the pitching staff that they have right now puts them into a competitive situation. I agree with that for sure. I think they're competitive. I agree. Um, But, you know, you're either the team that – it's just like they always say in the NFL, you're either a team with an elite quarterback or you're looking for an elite quarterback. And you're either a team that can win a World Series or you're not. And I just don't think, as currently constructed, the Indians can. And I feel the same way about the Reds. I think they are a much better baseball team than the Indians right now. Um, and a lot of that's just because of how they're playing. And I think their lineup's just so much better. Absolutely. But I don't think they have the, I don't think they have the pitching to win a World Championship. I mean, if they get really hot in the playoffs, maybe the only guy that they have that can really shut down an opposing team. Right this minute it is Luis Castillo, but then at times Mally's good enough. At times Sonny Gray's good enough. So if those dudes are all going right at the same time, then maybe. But I don't think they're good enough to win a World Series. I think the team last year was better built to win a World Series because it had Trevor. They had three legitimate aces going into the playoffs. Yeah, um, and, and no one else. That that was the best top three in baseball um, last year. If they'd have got past the Braves, I think they could have won the whole thing. Or if they would have swung the bats the way they're swinging it right now, they would have won the whole thing. Blake, um, what, what's going on with what's going on with the Mets right now? They're they, they traded for Javi Baez. <laughs> Dude's an absolute clown. I mean, two weeks ago they were in first place by four games. Now they're in third place, two and a half out. And part of that is the Phillies are playing really well. Well, so um, is Atlanta. And Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta's really good. Yeah. But I just read an article a few minutes ago that said the you know, the hottest team in baseball is the Philadelphia Phillies, and I'm just like, uh, sorry, try that shit again. The hottest team in baseball is the Cincinnati Reds. They've been the best team in baseball since the All-Star break, especially if you don't count the first series with Milwaukee. Um, well, the, the, la- the last ten, both teams are eight and two, but the Phillies have won eight in a row. The Reds have won five straight. The Reds are won 12, 12 of their last, or 10 of their last 12, too. Yeah. Um, so they, before those two games they lost, they had won the two previous. So, but since, I mean, they had the best record in baseball in July, um, tied for the best record in baseball in July. So, uh, that's just whatever. So I hate the Phillies because I hate Bryce Harper. You know who um, the, you know who the, who I think the best pitcher in the National League is right now? Zach Wheeler. Wheeler has been pitching the lights out for the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't argue that point. Um, I, the only thing that I'll argue about that is I hate it because he should have been a red a couple of years ago. <laughs> it was place and we shit on it. It was a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and he is really pitching well for the Phillies right now. And the key to the Phillies, and I can't remember the guy's name, but the kid that they brought up to play center field, and he, they put him in the leadoff position, and a long-haired kid, and and he's been outstanding over the last two months. 
Yeah, really, really good. Um, but I can't remember his name. I apologize. He was supposed to be on Team USA too. Yeah. And uh, in the Olympics, and he was um, obviously brought up late. Yeah. Speaking. Um, but yeah, absolutely right. He's a stud. He's played really, really well as a young guy. Um, Speaking of which, the United States Olympic baseball team was a complete disappointment. How can you lose two nothing to Japan? It's baseball, man. Yeah, I know, but still, the guy only threw it, you know, he wasn't even throwing 92 miles an hour. And now I realize that the starting third baseman for the United States was Todd Frazier. But let's, let, let's call it what it is. Uh, Mike Sosha and whomever picked this team didn't do a very good job. Also, and Chris Morris and I talked about this on Friday, the United States Olympic softball team, who put together that bunch? I mean, you've got two teams in the Division One NCAA College College Softball World Series in Oklahoma and, and uh, oh, crap. Now I can't remember the other team's name. I'm going through brain withdrawal right now. But they were both teams that had sluggers, and not a one of those players was on the Olympic softball team. And what was their problem? Hitting. Yeah, it's similar to the women's national team for soccer. They just they, yeah. they can run their old guard out instead of going young. Yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty cool that Todd Frazier was playing in the Olympics as a 40-year-old. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then you've got Sue Bird who played for the basketball team, and she was an integral part of it. But, you know, I mean, it's Sue Bird. And at 41 years old, she's still one of the better players in women's basketball. And women's basketball in the United States is so far ahead of where everyone else is. It's not even close. Yeah. Um, yep. But nonetheless, I got, I've got to bring this up. I, I've hesitated, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. Um, there, there appears, and you tell me what you think, Blake, because we haven't talked about this, but I've got a feeling there's a transition going on on the Reds television broadcasting crew. Um, if you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, they've started bringing in Sam LeClure, um, to work with Barry Larkin and John Sadak. I've said enough about Sadak. I don't want to get involved with that, but I think they're slowly transitioning LeClure to be in the broadcast booth next year rather than Larkin. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody thought Barry was going to be like a long-term solution in the Reds broadcast booth. Um, actually, most idiot Cincinnati Reds fans thought that that was him being one step closer to the manager's chair, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, Sam Lecure has always been a pretty integral part of what they do with the Reds live broadcast, and he's been around the program for or the team for a while. Um, he also, you know, did some of the Reds on review stuff. He's like he's like the the pinch hitter of the announcers. He goes to wherever they need him. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised with it. I think he's terrible. Um, I like Sam LeCure. He's one of my favorite pitchers because he did a lot with not very good stuff. Um, but no, I think he, I don't think he's very good at the booth at all. I, I think he does more homework than Barry Larkin does. I don't think Barry Larkin he really does more homework. Pardon me? I think he definitely does more homework, but so do I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, and I'm not saying that that, but, but what I'm saying is, is that Barry Larkin doesn't. 
You can ask no, Barry Larkin I mean, a question about a specific player, and he doesn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think Barry thought it would be a lot easier than it's been for him, for sure. And what I'm surprised about, too, Blake, is is that Larkin only does the home games, but the TV crews don't travel with the team, so why can't he do the away games, too? My guess is so he can go home to Florida. <laughs> I mean, that's my guess. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just been... I don't know. This whole thing has kind of been in an uproar. And on top of that, I'm sure you've probably heard, but the Reds' former announcer, Tom Brenneman, has a new job. Who's that with? You haven't heard? No. Um, He is doing, I've got to look this up to make sure that I give the proper credit, but he will be doing high school football. Oh, for Chatterbox? Chatterbox, yes. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, interesting. I yeah, mean, I mean, if you're going to do it, that's the, that's the spot to start back up. Um, he'll never call another major league game. It doesn't really matter. No. No, he won't. Were you surprised at the tweet that Marty Brenneman sent out towards Stephen A. Smith? I don't think I saw that either. You didn't see that either? Um, you know, when Stephen A. Smith made the comments about Kevin Love and what could have been interpreted as some racial comments and things like that, and Marty Brenneman's tweet was, I wish my son would have been uh, forgiven as fast as ESPN forgave Stephen A. Smith. I mean, I'm not surprised by it. Um, it's, uh, Marty says what he thinks. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that people in Cincinnati loved him so much is that he would call athletes to the carpet and he's not afraid to call anybody out. Yeah. Um, if, if he feels like what his son did wasn't as much worse of a deal than what, uh, what, um, Stephen A. Smith would say. Stephen A. Smith said, then he's going to tell you that regardless of whether or not he's right. He's going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, but I like, Marty is willing to call people out. I've I've always liked that about him. I've always found it to be interesting, especially during times of turmoil, because Marty has never left anything that he is thinking unsaid. Let's just put it that way. Um, I was a little bit surprised at the tweet when he came out and said that, but I had absolutely no problems with it, and I thought it was very apropos. Yeah, I mean... I completely agree with you. You know, so anyway, so what do the Reds have coming up this week, other than the Indians tonight? What do they have coming up the rest of the week, do you know? Well, we know when tonight for sure. Um, <laughs> terrible. No, uh, so it's one against the Indians tonight, um, uh, three at the Braves and a three at the Phillies. So the, th- the three hottest teams in baseball are probably playing each other this week, which is kind of nice. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll get a lot out of, uh, seeing what, what the, what these three teams are about, seeing which one of them's real. I think if the Reds, you know, it's a six game road trip against three tough teams and in, in the National League East, or two tough teams in the National League East. And I think you gotta look at it as, you know, a what trip that you gotta go 500 or better. Especially if you after you beat the Indians tonight, if you can stay above that ten games over five hundred mark, then you're going to continue to give yourself a shot at playing postseason baseball. 
Well, for the Red, for the Indians, I should say, that, like you said, got the the Reds game to make up from May 9th. And then they've got three games at home with the A's. Going to be a very tough series there. And then they go on the road and they play over the weekend against Detroit up in Michigan. And then they go to Minnesota and play the Twins. So it's going to be a tough week for the Indians, a tough week for the Reds. We'll talk about it again next Monday night, okay? Real quick before we leave, who's your National Rookie of the Year? Pardon me? Who's your National League Rookie of the Year? India. Yeah, I agree with you. I I don't think he's going to win it, but I agree. Who's going to win it? I just, I haven't done any pundit list that you look at. He is not even on the list for a lot of them. Um, I just, I don't see him winning it, and he should. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there is no doubt who the best, and there's no doubt who the second best rookie is in Stevenson. I mean, I, I, I think I completely agree with you. Baseball mass, uh, uh, America 221 rookie of the year watch and India's name's not even on it. What, what other, where would the Reds be right now without those two players? Uh, they would be 500 maybe at best. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they'd have a hole at second, they'd have a hole at short, they, and, and they wouldn't have anybody to back up Barnhart behind the plate. And, and Stevenson has come up with so many big hits. He played first base, filled in there when Votto was out, and they didn't miss a beat. And, you know, I, I'm one that almost thought that it was because of Stevenson that got Votto off dead center and decided to make a few changes when he came off the DL so he could become a better hitter. I completely agree. Um, I did finally find something where actually now on the Vegas odds, India is the front runner. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no doubt who, who that has to be. It's got to be Jonathan India. Um, the kid's a spark plug. He has really propelled. Ever since Bell put him in the leadoff spot, the Reds have won. I'd love to see their record since Bell is, since Bell put him in that leadoff spot. Yeah, I don't know it offhand, but it just definitely feels like he makes that offense go and that team go, and he's a part of that new age, and he's got the same kind of attitude similarly as Castellanos. And, he's, you know, I think you're looking at a guy in Jonathan India is going to be a, a two, 285 hitter every year and hit 20, 25 bombs and be one of the best defensive second baseman in baseball. Yeah, and, and yesterday, by the way, um, probably my mistake, we should have brought this up a lot earlier, Yesterday for the Reds was uh, Joe Morgan Day. And yeah, that's, yep. That was a big thing. Um, and, you know, his family was there. Um, it was it was a very, uh, a touching day. Um, you know, a lot of the players were back. Um, you know, Joe Morgan, I'll tell you this right now, Blake, because I know you, you're not old enough to remember this, but... Had Bob Housem not made the trade with Houston to get Joe Morgan, there is no big red machine. Barna. Oh, for sure. Never for would have happened. Sure. Pardon? He, uh, for sure. He, uh, Joe Morgan is, you know, widely considered, at least around here, that the big red machine is one of the two best baseball teams of all time. The, the argument is always, Big Red Machine murders Joe Red Yankees. And Joe Morgan was the best player on those teams. 
He was the best player on both 75 and 76 baseball teams. Whether he had the best career or not, he was the best player on maybe the best team of all time. That's all you need to know about the guy. Yeah, and it wasn't just those two years. He was also right. great in 73. He was also great in 74. He was also great in 77. He was also great in 78. Until playing on the AstroTurf at Riverfront Stadium finally took its toll on his legs. Yeah, it was inevitable for most of those guys of that era, for sure. You know, I mean, Joe Morgan was the guy. Uh, I, Pete, let, let, okay, let's just, and I'm going to use an old analogy. Pete Rose was the straw that stirred the drink. Joe Morgan was the drink. And Joe then, Morgan was the drink. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, I mean, there were, Sadak yesterday, for whatever reason, he decided that he wanted to throw in there what a great leadoff man Joe Morgan was. Joe Morgan batted leadoff for the Reds 22 times, 22 games. Pete Rose was their leadoff hitter. Pete Rose was their leadoff hitter. And the only reason Joe Morgan batted leadoff in those games was because Sparky gave Pete the day off. That was it. And that was in 72 and 73. In 74 was when the Reds, or 73 was when the Reds finally put Joe Morgan in the number three spot in the batting order. They sw- they flip-flopped Bobby Tolan from third to second and Morgan from second to third. And then in 73 was when Ken Griffey Jr. or Ken Griffey Sr. came into the lineup and he batted second. The minute that Joe Morgan batted third for the Reds, nobody else did until Joe Morgan left the team. Fact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there. Uh, you know, now can you say that Joe Morgan was the greatest clutch hitter for the Reds? Probably, Tony Perez. Probably not. Yeah, you're looking at Tony Perez. You know, but that lineup from top to bottom made each other better by far. And well, he- it, if you draw comparisons to right now, obviously the lineup's not nearly as good, but it's just so long. Everybody in that lineup, and just similar to the Reds right now, everybody in the lineup can hurt you. Yeah. Like, or Geronimo could hurt you. Yeah. Pete, Joe, Tom, uh, Johnny, who, unbelievable. Yeah. George Foster. Tony I mean, Perrette. Yep. You know, there were, there were certain things. You know, and, and I'll give Sparky Anderson credit because there were certain things that Sparky did with that lineup throughout the years that continually made that team better. And the first one was moving Joe Morgan from second to third in the batting order. And then a little bit later on, he moved Pete from left to third and brought in George Foster. And then he would dinker around with, well, who's going to be cleanup? Is it going to be Johnny? Is it going to be Perez? Is it going to be Foster? You know. And then you had then you had Danny Dreesen come up, and the World Series that Dreesen had in '76 is what prompted them to trade Perez to Montreal. So I mean, there were guys that that Sparky had on that team that he could just plop into certain areas. But Davey Concepcion, when he first came up, Blake. He was nowhere, he was like, he was like Omar Vizcal. Nowhere near a major league hitter. But because of what he had around him, he became a good hitter because you couldn't pitch around the guy. You pitched around him and guess who's waiting in the wings? Exactly. Any one of a hundred dudes. Exactly. And you had to pitch 
to Concepcion. You had to pitch to Jerome. There's another, there was another move right there, Blake. I even forgot about this one until I'm talking about it. Cesar Geronimo, when he came over from Houston, was a right fielder. And Tolan was the center fielder. But in 73, they moved Tolan to right and moved Geronimo to center because of Geronimo's arm and he could run faster than Tolan after Tolan's Achilles heel injury. And then Tolan got traded to San Diego, I believe, and that's when they that opened up the spot in right field for Ken Griffey. And then look at that outfield. You had Rose in left, Geronimo in center, Griffey in right, and then when they moved Rose to third, you had Foster in left. They didn't miss a beat. That was one of the speediest outfields in baseball. Amen, brother. I mean, that team, I loved that team. I loved Cincinnati up until almost in the same winter they got rid of Pete and Sparky and won in the same breath. Thank you, Dick Wagner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm off my... But to to get back to Joe Morgan, I I think it was well-deserved. It's too bad it couldn't have been done while he was still here. But Joe Morgan will go down. I'm not going to say as the greatest second baseman in baseball history, but he is definitely in the top three and arguably the best. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree. So I think he's the best. Well, you know, and, and I'm not going to argue with you because, like I said, arguably he is the best. He did so much, not only for that team and professionally, but he has done a lot for the he had done a lot for the game of baseball. And you know the thing about it is, too, Blake, I enjoyed listening to him when he was I um, thought him and John Miller together on Sunday night baseball on ESPN for years was so good. They were a home run. The maybe the best baseball group I've I I have ever heard. I loved listening to those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they were absolutely outstanding. They played off each other well. Uh, John Miller is one of the best in the game anyway. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, Joe Morgan just added so much to a broadcast. And from what I understand, and I don't know this for sure, but from what I understand, one of the reasons he finally decided to step down was he, he just, he, he couldn't get into the press box. Just get up and down the steps and things. Yes. Yeah. And you notice he always had the cane with him, and it was just the constant beating that the AstroTurf, and a lot of people don't realize that, Blake, that AstroTurf was harder than cement. Yeah, it was like playing on some carpeted cement. Yeah, I mean, and and the Reds, you know, Riverfront Stadium was one of the worst. That in Pittsburgh, mainly because of the weather and how it just beat down on it. It was awful. Yeah, so anyway. All right, we'll talk to you again next Monday night. All right, buddy. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 7 o'clock, join us again then for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Have a good night, everybody.